0: Today, I am joined by two-time Grammy award-winning mezzo-soprano, Sasha Cook. Sasha has performed at major opera houses around the world, including the Metropolitan Opera, San Francisco Opera, and English National Opera. Today she shares her experience of imposter syndrome, a feeling that one is not worthy or deserving of one's own success. We discuss how these inner bullying voices originated relating to her body image and how music became a safe and empowering space. Lastly, Sasha shares how couples therapy and practicing gratitude enables her to take responsibility and ownership in her personal and musical life. This episode of Loose Leaf Notebook is supported by New Music USA and featured on New Music Box. Hi Sasha! Hey Julie, how are you? I'm good. How are you?
1: <laughs> good. Good to see you. So where are you right now? I'm in New York, uh, finishing up the second of two shows at the Met. Uh, the first was a Handel opera, Rhoda and the second is Marriage of Figaro, my first time doing that show. Um, it's been a total blast. Long time away from home, but I'm ready to go yeah. back. I'm sure. Back at the Met, it's been a few years since I sang on the Met stage, so it's been really nice to be back.
0: So I was really excited when you said that you would like to talk about imposter syndrome today, which I think is something that a lot of people identify with, but actually also don't exactly know what it means, and we all have kind of different definitions of it. So I'd love to hear what your definition of it is, and also what inspired you to want to talk
1: about it with me today. I love that question because I haven't thought about the idea of different ways of defining it. It's really interesting. I'd love to know what your definition might be because for me, I think um, what comes to mind are voices, um, ones that say, you don't deserve what you're doing right now. Someone's going to find you out. How did you get to get this position? You don't deserve it. You didn't do the work. It's anything that is questioning your self-worth or achievement. Um, And for me, that came up right now because of those very jobs I just mentioned. I am at this major opera house where I was a young artist. So there's a little bit of that, uh, you know, stepchild, like the, do they accept me? Have I, you know, made them happy Um, because I'm a product of their program? So there's a little bit of that insecurity there, um, that seeking for approval, which maybe isn't well-founded or you know, a good thing at all, but <clears throat> it exists. So right. the Met brings that up for me. Also, most places where I sing, as one of my managers once said to me, you have a good track record of, rehire, of getting rehired. So it's really rare I don't continue a relationship with a place. So I think the imposter syndrome is also connected to the Met, and then I'm like, "What's wrong with me? Why haven't I been there last year? You know, what what don't I have?" And so I start to answer those questions on stage, which is really not helpful, because um, then the mind—I think the mind can do horrible things. I mean, as you know, like I think we have to take really good care of our minds, what we put into our spaces emotional, literal, musical, personal, romantic, all of it. What's in our personal spaces? And if it's not serving us, if it's doing damage, and that includes what we put in there. Right. Um, So I think it's really hard to stop and say, hold on. I don't need to listen to that, or that's not true.
0: So do those voices come up for you while you're performing?
1: Yeah, I'd say right before. Okay. And then the question is whether they win in the moment of performing. And I think to some degree, they're there. Um, My dear friend, Steve Blyer, who has talked about anxiety with me as a pianist, you know, he says, it's okay, go to the back of the room, I'll listen to you later. Like, he talks to the voices, like, I see you, I understand why you're here, but not right now, and... I think there are all kinds of techniques like that but boy is it not a good feeling
0: where do you think those voices come from
1: i think there are lots of places i think that i mean i've been dabbling a little bit in couples therapy with my husband which has been really wonderful and we talk a fair amount about childhood not to say trauma but just learned you know experience like the emotional experience of a child and what we may or may not have had. Um, And it's possible that those voices could come from that feeling of loneliness or isolation when we were little that didn't feel loved or didn't feel seen or um, didn't feel worthy. And then gets on stage and says, oh, am I really good enough for this? And it does help to have love in your life, both from yourself and from those around you that say, yes, Julia, you deserve this, you're great, you're awesome. And then those voices are the antidote to the to the meaner voices.
0: Yes. I mean, my understanding of imposter syndrome is that it's almost doesn't matter how much evidence is given to you. You know, you can have X amount of debuts around the world or X amount of invitations to come back to the Met. Um, but none of those tangible successes um, are actually enough if if the if the imposter voice is strong enough. My understanding is it's an
1: inability to
0: internalize your own success.
1: That's um, fascinating. And I, now that you say that, I think they often go together. I often think the more successful you become, mm. the more present imposter syndrome is because the pressure is higher, and you don't see yourself as deserving. I just talked to a colleague at the Met. Around my age, singing a big role at the Met, and she said, I think you'd be surprised, Sasha, how many in this house I've had this exact conversation with. Mm-hmm. And and she said, It's not a coincidence. We're right. at the Met, you know, and and it's overwhelming. And I think that there's a good aspect to it in that we're we appreciate where we are.
0: If imposter syndrome means that you have a narrative that explains all the reasons how you got to where you are that don't include your actual raw talent. What does that narrative look like for Sasha Cook? Like, how does Sasha Cook explain where you are with your incredible voice if there's a part of you that still thinks maybe it kind of worked out that way
1: somehow? Yeah, well, I could say... You got to go to a privileged, prestigious institution like Juilliard that put you in the right place to be heard by the right conductors. You're white, you're female, you're redheaded, you're pretty, therefore more men will hire you. Uh, You don't have to compete with men because your voice part uh, is very specific, therefore, and you're in a field with fewer of that voice type, so your competition's lower. If you were a soprano, you probably wouldn't have a career. Um, You're chubby, so therefore you're less of a threat to other women. So you're more of a welcome presence. You're chubby, therefore conductors feel more comfortable around you because you're not a sexual threat. You're not, uh, I mean... um,
0: Yeah, that was a lot.
1: That was a lot. That was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I've never actually verbalized them. i never thought about them until you said give them, just say them. What are they? And. I do think I am privileged. I do think I have really, I've been, I've been, I do think I've been in the right place at the right time. I do. I sure. really do. Yeah. And I think, of course, it helps to be talented. It helps to be kind. It helps to be prepared. But I know so many deserving people who don't have careers. No,
0: there is absolutely a certain amount of, you know, the idea of a lucky break. I Yeah, absolutely. But you still have to be able to sustain career after the lucky break
1: yeah true for me the next question is what what counteracts imposter syndrome what's the antidote to imposter syndrome and i'm still figuring it out i do think that being in the moment being really present in what you're doing really works and i know i say that to young singers or any musician if they're starting to have nerves if they're starting to have doubts like oh gosh what's the first part or oh i didn't do this right or what if my dress is, or whatever it is, if we start to think, thank you, you know, it's gratitude and it's being present. Mm. Um, Thank you for being here. Thank you, Mozart, for writing this. Thank you, anything. And you start to think, here I am in this moment. Those voices usually disappear. My Russian superstition self comes in sometimes where, like, someone will say good luck and I'm like. That's a bad sign. Someone didn't say break a leg. They said, good luck because I'm going to have a crappy show because it's going to be bad because I'm going to fall on my face because I'm not going to hit the high note. Ba-da-da. But instead, I'm like, they did something different, which is perfect to shake things up. That's it meant to be, or let's say my zipper breaks or my wig falls off, like to see it as a positive woman, as opposed to a negative, like oh, something's different, keeping you in the moment, you know?
0: Right. That's great. I love that. Does that extend
1: to doing something different musically? I think so. Like, I think if you, you know, you're like, today I'm going to think about meter. I don't know. Like, I I think it's, you know, for me, it's like this moment. There's this side to it too. I've been playing it this way, maybe today. And then that whole scene, which can seem like daunting, like, You got to do the aria, you got to do all this stuff. Instead, I make it about one moment, and my focus goes to doing that dramatic thing, and then all the rest just falls into place. Mm -hmm. Gratitude for me is a big secret weapon, and if I could get a tattoo, it probably would have to do with gratitude in some way. (laughs) I know that when I've been on the road and lonely, jet lagged, in a different time zone than my family, uh, let's say sick, which is really. Frustrating as are the singer. Yeah. Gratitude is my medicine. Because it's so easy to get negative and start seeing the lack. Oh, I could have done that better. Oh, you should have arrived earlier and adjusted. It does you know, it's so easy to find fault. So for me, if I say, Thank you for this perfect cup of coffee, thank you for this beautiful tree. Thank you for this Airbnb, which is really nice. Then I start to see my reality is different and it transforms literally my my experience. And often if I have someone in the audience that I love, I'll think about them and only them like, oh, I'm so lucky this person's here. They will be happy that I even just showed up. Doesn't have to be the most perfect performance by what I see as perfect. They're already happy.
0: How did you learn that kind of mental reframing I
1: don't know <laughs> I wonder <laughs> I mean I have really great parents um and my mom is a little bit of a people pleaser to a fault you sure. know who's always thinking about the the people she's with as opposed to herself I think maybe a piece of it is that I was picked on as a kid I was very chubby basically all of my youth until I was about 20 really until I went to college started doing my own kind of workout routine, diet, changing lots of things. Um, I've lo- I lo- from my highest to my lowest is almost a hundred pounds that I lost. So it was a big um, journey. And there was this yearning to be loved and a yearning to be welcome in the room. And I think one of the reasons I love music is because everyone's welcome. And I love that. I, well, I felt very quickly upon getting on the stage that one feels beauty, one feels really special, and one feels the spotlight, that no one can really touch them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I had a very bizarre experience over a decade ago singing in Georgia in a small town, and there were some kids that were in the corner of the hall, and they started talking or laughing. I can't remember what it was exactly, but one of the pieces I was singing was this very intimate, quiet Debussy. And I felt like anger rise up in me because I was so shaken that someone would talk during or laugh. And, and I walked off the stage and I thought I need to like make an announcement. I said, please, I just said to the room, like, if you can keep your volume or I said something, you know, that would be appreciated because I was finding my focus was getting distracted. But I think that that inner chubby kid in me was feeling triggered. Um, because someone was laughing and or giggling and I suddenly thought they're laughing at me, which is very unlikely, but I thought that, um, same thing happened in Dallas. I was walking in the street while I was working at Dallas opera and a truck goes by laughing to themselves, but I immediately thought they were laughing at me and I immediately felt hurt. So I think that the gratitude in a way is because I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to shine, you know. And I think had I always been the popular kid or always been liked or always been the most beautiful, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't know. But it's possible that that kid in me is so happy to feel embraced, you know. Mm,
0: That makes a lot of sense. So did some of those voices, those sort of mean internal voices, which I definitely can identify, have a whole... I have a whole slew of them, and they have names and everything. It sounds like they started in,
1: in childhood. That's a great question, too. I mean, I my memory is so rough. I, I sometimes yeah. wonder if I have bad memory because of emotional issues, um, because I don't remember when the mean voices started, but it would make sense that they were literal voices that became internal voices. Sure. Um, you know, um, and defining when that switch happened is hard. I I just, I'm grateful that regardless of what was going on in life, that when I sat down at the piano, no one could touch that. Like no one could enter that space. So I think to some extent that fortitude is still there, even amidst imposter syndrome, even amidst the ego connected thoughts that come up at the Met or which sometimes are from people like you hear, you know, those that are hiring you making critical remarks and then you absorb those and then take them literally. I mean, that kind of keeping that wall is really hard as a performer, you know, because we're always getting opinions from people. I'm sure you feel this way, too. So when do we take them in and when do we say that's not for me? I don't want to believe you. I'm not. I don't believe you. Right. Because it's not all good. I think that's been another one of my learning curves is, oh, I can't trust everyone. Oh, well, that person's actually not good for me. It's been really hard to then say, well, no.
0: Right. Or there might be certain institutions or, or partners creatively that you, that are toxic and and it's important to step away from those offers even if they're glittery offers.
1: Yeah, it's, it's still hard. I um, One of my new or recent goals has been that if I have a hint of a red flag, just the smallest hint, that that's a no. And I have to really try hard to listen. Is there a red flag? You know, because I usually don't want to hear it and I want to say, I can do it, sure, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I, can do it. I don't think about myself. I want to do whatever people want me to do. Um, So also even knowing what I want has been hard to figure out. And I think travel really works well for me because I'm forced to be alone and sit with myself. Because when I'm home, especially you mentioned my daughters, if I'm doing the mom thing, I could do that all day and never "Well, what do you need, you know, like, I did a class the other day with the MET Young Artists, and um, the person interviewing me said, well, what's your idea of self-care? I thought, okay, that's a great question. And the first thoughts that came to mind were trying to find a space to be alone. Because as much as I think I'm an extrovert, I'm probably an extrovert-introvert, or what it's called, extrovert-introvert. Yeah. And practice. Like I often find that if I actually get to the piano and I prioritize doing that, that I'm doing self-care because I'm more ready for the next job. I've at least had that time, you know, with myself.
0: One thing that i've I've been doing is so I work with a creative coach, and um you know, I have a lot of anxiety that gets in the way of writing, and it's it's even though it's not a performance in front of a audience, you know, in real time, I am ultimately imagining, you know the work being performed. Yes. and so i I find it helpful to actually name my mean voices, Um, and part of their name has to do with where they come from. And then I have little boxes for them, and so I will write, if I have a mean thought, I will write it down on an index card and then I put it in the box for that kind of voice. And I had to do that because it was just so noisy in my studio. You know, and there was just all of these different, like, you know, this isn't good enough, this isn't... And so one thing, just to give you an example, is, you know, my inner critic voice, um, I'll say to him, because he's a guy, um, I'll say, you know, thank you, but I don't need you right now. You're going to be really helpful when I'm editing, but not right now when I'm just brainstorming. Like, it's too soon. And so I find a way to sort of Find their use, right? Because sometimes they have a certain amount of use that have
1: brought you to success,
0: but mostly they're destructive.
1: (laughs) That's brilliant. I love that. Whenever I bow with a composer, I always have this thought, gosh, I do not envy you, but that the whole space is created by you. Like, I can imagine why that creates voices.
0: And I imagine there's a lot in being a singer as well
1: that sort of makes you vulnerable to yeah. to other people's criticism? Yeah, I was just saying that to these students the other day, that for one reason or another, the industry deems us as their property, and all kinds of things can be commented on. Even things that feel very inappropriate, you know, mm-hmm. like our physical appearance, or our personal lives, or what we wear, or our sexuality, Like, it's very strange, and I don't know about instrumentalists, but I will say that singers in particular, because we are being cast in roles that are physical, you know, um, people, that our physical selves are under scrutiny. And now in a culture of HD broadcasts, even more so, are there pressures to look a certain way. Um, And... It takes, again, the strength to say that's not mine or that's not appropriate. I think it's so hard because young people who don't yet have that confidence and don't have the clout, frankly, to say, excuse me, that's not appropriate, are the ones who need it the most. Right. And it's really sad to me that there are still abusive practices in our business, in our schools. Um, And I, sexism is an interesting subject because when I started singing, I remember thinking, oh, I just have to accept this. I might get harassed or groped and I actually can't speak up about it. I just have to suck it up. Like this is part of the opera business, you know? Uh, And hopefully I can just avoid that person or I can avoid those situations. Not have a defense for them, not be able to talk to the opera house about them, not and that's that's changed a lot, like I think, even though there's still issues that need to be dealt with, the fact that now it's being talked about at least is moving in the right direction, and maybe the pendulum has swung too far, but to be for an opera house at the beginning of rehearsal to say, "We don't condone this kind of behavior, so if you experience this in our opera house, we want you to approach us at least they've said that so now. We also have now um, intimacy coaches, so like I had to do a rape scene a couple years ago and there was a person guiding us through each of the moves. In previous times, the, the actors would just figure it out, and sometimes it wouldn't be so comfortable because maybe, let's say, the guy, if it's a heterosexual coupling, takes some liberties or uses maybe too much strength because he's unaware of his strength. And then like, say me, does, I don't feel comfortable saying to my colleague, this makes me uncomfortable. So it is, I know a lot of men in the business are joking. Like, can I touch you? Am I allowed? Like there's a joke of, you know, consent. Do I have permission to touch? Permission to, it's like, it's a bit of a joke, but it's, for me, I'd rather it be a joke and talked about than have people be made uncomfortable or triggered.
0: Is there anything about couples therapy that you'd like to share?
1: I just think therapy's awesome yeah I didn't know that because I had um, I don't know the notion that it takes a long time to find the right person, that you can become addicted to it or that then they then it becomes like a needy relationship or there's the potential for it to be damaging like I just I had all of these notions that were of fear and the pandemic provided a perfect opportunity. To be still with each other in the same space, and to look at some things that had kind of gotten swept under the rug. And one thing I do love about marriage, I think, is that we are given this opportunity to face ourselves. And oftentimes, or at least in my case, we choose to marry someone who presents those challenges. Maybe maybe they are opposite. Maybe they know how to push our buttons. So for me it's been nice to look at our patterns as a reflection of self and what we need or bring or still have yet to figure out. And, and actually it's benefited my music too because I think knowing my tendencies as a human and as a partner helps me also see myself in the musical space. Um, and where I need to just own my territory, because I used, I, 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 I mentioned being chubby and picked on. I think I would always sort of like try to hide in the wallpaper. Like I always felt like to disappear as much as possible, which is sort of ironic because I'm doing a very visible job. I'm on the stage in the spotlight. I am not hiding, but my inclination has always been, Be as unoffensive as possible, be as invisible as possible, because the more invisible you are, the less likely you're going to get made fun of. So try not to offend. And my friends growing up always say, stop apologizing, Sasha. Because I was always trying to make sure everyone was happy. Right. I'm sorry I'm late. Oh, I'm diced up on your toe. I'm sorry. Because I always just wanted to be liked. But now to say to not apologize? Musically. Right. No, I don't want to do that. And to not be like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to do that. I did. Ugh. Like right. no. You know, um, so our therapist says, uh, I love this line, like, Sasha, you have nothing to defend. Because my tendency is to get defensive. So if my husband says, oh, well, why did you have to take that extra job? Or why aren't you, whatever, you're working yeah. harder. Wh- why are you this? I can build? Instead of being like, well, I'm trying, well, I'm trying, well, I, you know, instead she'd be like, you're right.
0: So you're saying, you're right, I did take this extra yeah. job because I wanted to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And I'd, I'd appreciate your help. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's really yep. important. My, my therapist said that, um, I, I absolutely think this is true, that, that sometimes we're, we are attracted to a partner who is going to compel us to change in a way yep. and compel us to grow. Um, yep. And that they have, like I know in my partner, there are things about him that I admire that I don't have. And those same things also drive me nuts. And so it's this, it's this, and same for him. You know, there are things about me that, that he wishes Mm -hmm. he was more like, but, but they also rub him the wrong way. And so you start to grow together, Mm -hmm. hopefully, ideally you, you grow together towards, towards one another. Um, Yeah. I mean,
1: in a way, I feel like our current society is, sets us up for failure, in this regard because everything is so instant gratification comparison culture we can see into other people's lives we're looking at magazines of other things that are glamorous and look happy instead of understanding that life is about discomfort and that the greatest gifts come in the most discomfort Hmm. i'm sure you would say that about your um uh, anxiety that facing these difficulties actually makes you stronger i mean it's just it sounds banal, but it's true. It's like, um, my husband, one time we were crossing the street in New York and the cyclist came whizzing by with all this profanity. I don't know if he was mad that the group of people were crossing the road, but it just was like so much anger and ugliness. And I was like, Oh, and my husband's like, he laughed. And I remember thinking, how could you laugh? That was so, and he said, it's about him. My husband's really good at not giving a shit. He's right. just like, <laughs> care? Like, he was like, I'm missing that coffee date. I'm like, no, but we told him we would be there and we have to be there and he's like, who cares? Right, right. I'm like, wow, I really don't have that. I need that. And he probably also sees me as, as a means towards more community and yes. more vulnerability, which he probably wants. Right. And I think you're right. I think, I think that is, and it's, it's a really great journey. It's, marriage is, very difficult, I think. And now I'm starting to shift my perspective. And don't put it that way because that sounds negative. And to see it as a gift, you know. So what is the, the gift? Instead of saying, this is the hardest thing in my life. Like, this sucks. Right. Like, I wish I could have it easier, like, that person or that person. Right. Stop thinking about what I'm not. Right. 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 And,
0: yeah. Because, like you said, so much of it is actually this your spouse making you face yourself and yeah. realize... And that's why couples therapy is incredible. It's so easy to put the blame on the other person, but actually, you know, it's... Yeah. My therapist says it's a dance for two. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. It really is. Yeah um and how do your incredible parts of your life fit but your problems fit too like your problems are a match for one another totally um, and like trigger each other in cycles but yeah uh, so that's great that you're you're doing that yeah. and thanks for being open about that
1: happily i yeah. highly recommend it to others like so <laughs> you know, i think in a way being musicians is really a gift cuz where there's no pattern we fall into Yeah. to hide things. Like I think people have nine to five or eight to six, whatever. You could just say, hi, how was your day? Goodbye. Right. Not say, what's, what's really on your mind these days? What's at the heart of your universe? What, you know, big questions. And I feel like uh, my dear friend John Moore said once, um, we don't have the luxury of taking things for granted. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really true. We're tested. Yeah. And so then we ask things, like, well, why am I with this person? And what are they bringing me? And how am I showing up? Am I showing up in the relationship? Right. So
0: is this something that you talk about with your kids, or are they too little?
1: I think we do talk about it a bit. Um, It's a good question. I mean, I think they see some of the things that... Naturally with me being gone. That's the elephant in the room, right? And we have, to have all hands on deck Figure out how to manage that difficulty. I think that What they see is us showing up is us trying, you know, and What I don't want is to involve them in anything that affects their relationship with their father or right. vice versa because I do think that could be more of a the right age the right time right place thing which probably is coming mm-hmm. um, but I don't I don't think there's anything we need to hide I, mean, I don't know if they know we have couples therapy but I don't think it would hurt to tell them yeah you know
0: or maybe they don't doesn't even matter to them maybe
1: <laughs> maybe' They're like okay figure it out <laughs> I don't know. yeah but I, I think that we have to break down some of these barriers um, I love this thing my he was a he was a uh, monk for many years he's in his 60s and he said I spend most of my time unlearning things mm-hmm. and I like that idea that the idea we can't tell our kids about this like why right I think the next the, gener- the next generations are going to teach us so much they're you know, so different really- they're so different, and yeah. it's so exciting, actually, to open our eyes and for, and remember, we're learning from them. It's not just. Right.
0: Have you read any Brene Brown? <gasps> oh,
1: I love her so <laughs> much. I've learned a lot from her. And she's in Texas, of course, which is kind of cool. So I felt right. like the dream of meeting her.
0: You brought up this idea of worthiness, and that reminded me of Brene Brown's work, because I feel like that's so tied into... Imposter syndrome and anxiety. This idea that we have to behave a certain way in order to be worthy of love yes. and belonging. You
1: know, something I've taken away from Brené is there is never there is never too much in saying to ourselves, "You're beautiful. I love you. You're so wonderful. You're great. Good job." Like when do we do that? When do we actually say, "Right," you know, and really mean it? I love that like sending out those thoughts really has power yeah however we grew up we all could maybe deserve a bit more love than maybe we received sure and if there's no time too late and maybe the lesson we have is with the younger generations to love on them and make sure they feel you know yeah worthy
0: how do you keep uh, connected and a loving connection with your kids while you're away yeah it's
1: uh, an evolving thing and one of my favorite things is reading because we can do that on FaceTime so typically wherever I go I buy books and I read them on FaceTime so that A I have something that's a surprise B is it something I really can do like I would do at home and then and it's funny how an intimacy develops, like it feels like we're close. Um, right. So reading, uh, also really watching the schedule because the person who's traveling really should be responsible for when they're talking to their kids, I think, instead of sort of expecting to be called or waiting because they have enough going on. So for me to look at the time difference and figure out the day in advance, okay, this is where the hour is, because if you don't, and then this is kind of preparation, it's like self-care. If I don't, then the day comes, I missed it. It's gone. And they're in bed. And I missed my opportunity for connection. So being organized, planning, um, making time. And I actually, I mean, we are so gifted with FaceTime. Because yeah. it feels, I mean, really, I mean, like just like now. Yeah. I mean, um, with my daughter, my oldest daughter, sometimes I feel that, it feels more close on FaceTime than at home. Because at home you can kind of fall into patterns and, you know, but somehow here it's very private I don't know. So, and my younger one is very fun because she, of course, does not love to talk on the phone the same way my older daughter does. But she'll carry me around the house or plop me on the floor or put me in front of her plate as she's eating and, and also I really watch the schedule. So if it's been a couple weeks, then maybe they fly here. It's worth the extra thousand dollars. Or if I have a day off, maybe I can fly there. Again, that's planning. It's like, how long can we manage being apart? Okay, that's too long. So how are we gonna figure this out? And maybe that also means I don't take a job. Right. Is it, okay, well, they're offering a job. It's my one week home. No, can't. So I think that's how the connection stays intact. And I have like my personal MO is, or what's the right way of putting it my personal theory is when something goes wrong i'll cross that bridge meaning right i'll keep doing this as long as i can but if there's something we hit a hurdle and one of the kids needs something then i will take a break from that job that's okay. like my personal thought is one day at a time yeah is everyone okay Is everyone okay is everyone okay are you okay and i think if they, as long as they feel loved yeah all good It doesn't have to be me in the room. I think they can feel love from their father, from me from afar, from each other. I I like to think it grows their own sense of independence, Mm -hmm. you know. And there are uh, silver linings for sure.
0: Absolutely. And they see you pursuing your dreams, which is inspiring, I'm sure. I hope so. Yeah. Well, if listeners want to find you and hear your beautiful voice you have a new recording out right do you want yes. to plug that yes
1: it's all new songs it just came out on pentatone it's called how do i find you which is the title of caroline shaw's song i want to keep commissioning new songs that's sort of one of my goals something i learned during the pandemic is you make your own projects you don't have to wait for something to happen to you make it happen so that's kind of my goal now instead of waiting usually because usually composers call me it's rarely the other way around. Mm, okay, like, oh, well, awesome. I can do this. Why not? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. So we can go go to your website. Yes, yeah, sashakope.com and Instagram is sasha mezzo mama and Facebook I think is sasha mezzo or mezzo sasha. Something <laughs> like that. So you can find me. Well, thank you so much. So happily, and I, I'm glad you're talking about this, Julia. It's really awesome. Thank you. Thanks. By so the way, our awesome. our youngest is Julia.
0: Oh. <laughs> well, my so. cat's name is Sasha, so.
1: <laughs> oh, really? I love it. Awesome. I'm so grateful
0: to Sasha for being so open with us. And it's an important reminder that personal and musical growth is a lifelong journey. It's very powerful to pay attention to the voices and messages that you are sending to yourself unconsciously. And I believe the more we can understand them, the more control we can have over our own lives. And lastly, I agree with Sasha that art and therapy can allow us to face ourselves and give space for healing. So thank you, Sasha, for being with us today, and thank you for listening. This episode is supported by New Music USA and featured on New Music Box. Thank you for listening to Loose Leaf Notebook. I'm Julia Adolph, and the music you are hearing is my orchestral work, Dark Sand Sifting Light performed by the New York Philharmonic with Alan Gilbert conducting. If you'd like to hear some more of my music, you can visit my website at juliaadolph.com or my YouTube channel, which also has video versions of all of these podcasts. Thanks again!